It is the knickknackjack.com podcast. I am the one, the only Knickknack Jack, and we are doing the study guides for the 737 through uh, 400 systems part two. This will be season five, episode 11, 737 400 systems part two. This is part of the uh, study guide for the dispatch program. So we'll do that, and maybe we'll do a little talking as well. We'll see how it goes. So sit back, relax, enjoy, and get ready to learn. All right, stand by. try to make this as short as we can. We'll get rolling. Uh, I have here the sample test or previous test that George used to use, so I'm going to go off of that for the supplemental study guide and include a few other things here that need to be included. Uh, First question here, what is the engine designation, manufacturer, and maximum thrust? Well, the maximum thrust of the engines is 22,000 pounds of thrust. And their CFM 56-3 high bypass ratio ratio turbofan engines. And they have 22,000 pounds of thrust. And now we're on to aircraft dimensions, which requires me to flip back a few pages here. Um, It's a lot more reliable now that we have the um, study guide here. Alright, so, um, the aircraft is 119 feet, 7 inches long, 36 feet, 3 inches tall, which varies with uh, fuel loading, and then uh, the wingspan, 94 feet, 9 inches. And the number of passengers, first class, we've got 8 passengers, and coach, we've got 138 passengers for a total of 146 passengers in a mixed-class configuration for this aircraft. Uh, now, on to the weights. Uh, the maximum taxi weight, or maximum ramp weight, is 144,000 pounds. Maximum takeoff weight is 143,500 pounds. Maximum landing weight, 121,000 pounds. Maximum zero fuel weight is 113,000 pounds. And the operating empty weight is 77,100 pounds. And the maximum tailwind component for landing is 10 knots. Locations on the aircraft where you find fire warning systems. Uh, That would be engine number one, engine number two, the wheel well, and the APU. Uh, There's four slots there, so that takes care of that. Uh, the schematic of the air conditioning and pressurization system. So let's l- review that real quick. Looking here at the schematics. All right, so air 
uh, the air conditioning air in the 737 or 400 uh, comes from the fan, the fifth and the ninth on the engine. Um, and using bleed, bleed air does increase fuel usage, by the way, because uh, you're robbing the engine of air. Um, and the air flows through the pack valve, uh, then goes to the primary heat exchanger, then goes to the air cycle machine, then goes to the air secondary heat exchanger, then goes to the high-pressure water separator, back to the air cycle machine, back to the high-pressure water separator, and then into the mix manifold. Uh, and pressurization, let's see here if I can find the diagram for that. Uh, pressurization, we have four systems for that. We have automatic, the normal mode of operation, uses AC motor. Standby, semi-automatic, a standby system in the event of auto failure. This uses a DC motor. Uh, manual AC, manual control of the system, uses AC motor. Manual DC, manual control of the system, uses DC motor. And uh, on the diagram here, we have um, forward outflow valves, uh, which is attached to the right recirculation fan. Uh, we have negative pressure relief valves, which keeps a steady pressure of 8.65. And uh, we have main outflow valves and an air ground safety sensor, and um, as well as the uh, actual gauges to set up the pressurization. All you do is enter your planned flight level and your landing altitude for auto. Um, and uh, it goes to the captain's, um, it's fed off the captain's uh, altimeter and the captain's sense port. And the standby is fed off of the first officer's altimeter and the captain's sense port. Um, and then, of course, there's manual as well where you can manually set the cabin pressure. Um, and the whole idea is to keep the cabin pressure from rising too much. Uh, so that's... That's the way the pressurization system works in brief. Uh, the origins of bleed air. The bleed air comes from the fan, the fifth and the ninth of the engines, and uh, it goes up into the uh, pack valve. Uh, bleed air can also come from the ground. You can connect it from a pneumatic source on the ground, and it can also come from the APU. Um, and when you start the engines, uh, the APU bleed air is used, you turn the packs off, and then you have enough uh, air in the system to start the air starter on engines number one and engines number two. If the wing tank contains 9,000 pounds of fuel, if, e if the wing tanks each contain 9,000 pounds of fuel, how much fuel can be in the center tank? And the answer is 1,000 pounds could be in the center tank. Uh, if you um, have more than a thousand pounds in the center tank, you must have uh, full wing tanks, and the wing tanks hold ten thousand uh, six hundred and forty-three pounds of fuel, and the center tank holds sixteen thousand uh, sixteen thousand four hundred and twenty-two pounds is what it can hold. Uh, allowable lateral fuel imbalance, lateral fuel imbalance between main, 
between main tanks 1 and 2 must be scheduled to be zero. Random fuel imbalance must not exceed 1,000 pounds for taxi, takeoff, flight, or landing. Main tanks 1, or two, one and 2 must be full if center tank con- contains more than 1,000 pounds. So in that case that we just talked about, uh, if the wing tanks contain 9,000 pounds each fuel, so they're not full, how much fuel can be in the center tank? 1,000 pounds can be in the center tank. Um, and it says, um, here as well, describe how the engines can be started when the aircraft is on the ground. Give some details about the energy sources. Well, first, obviously, the battery is going to be running things. The uh, battery seat, battery is DC, uh, 28-volt power, uh, and that will run your basic system, so you can start your APU. Once you have your APU started, you get the APU bleed going, um, and then you turn the left pack off, the right pack off, to give you enough uh, air pressure. And then you start the left engine, and once the left engine is stable, then you start the right one engine, the right engine, and that is the engine start sequence for the 737-400. Um... And the approximate capacity of fuel, we've already done that. Tank 1 and 2, 10,643 pounds each. Center tank, 16,422 pounds of fuel. Uh, the fueling defueling valve is found in the uh, right main tank, number 2. And the center, pank's, center tank scavenge pump... Um, takes fuel, uh, when, when the center fuel pumps are off, it takes fuel from the um, center tank, dumps it into the uh, left number one tank, uh, where it is then used. Let's see if we can find an official description here. Um, center tank scavenge jet pump. When both center tank fuel pump switches are turned off, the fuel scavenge shutoff valve opens. This allows fuel pressure from the main tank number one forward pump to operate the center tank scavenge jet pump, which transfers the remaining center tank fuel to main tank number one. After 20 minutes, this fuel scavenge shutoff valve automatically closes. So that's your answer to the scavenge uh, fuel pump question. Um, from which fuel tank do you feed the APU fuel from? And that is the left number one tank. Um, how much fuel weight difference can there be between tanks one and tanks two? Both for takeoff and landing, the max allowable lateral fuel imbalance uh, must be scheduled to be zero. Uh, but random fuel imbalance must not exceed a thousand pounds for taxi, takeoff, flight, or landing. Um, now it says peak, pick either hydraulic system A or B and list the devices which are activated by the system. Uh, we're just going to go through the hydraulics diagram, uh, which is going to take a while, but it's well worth it. In studying terms, anyway. Uh, hydraulic 
powers provided by three independent sources, System A, System B, and the standby system. System A, pressure is provided by the number one engine pump and an electric pump powered by the number two engine generator. System B, pressure is provided by the number two engine pump and electric pump powered by the number one engine generator. The standby system is used in the event of loss of either System A or System B pressure. Standby pressure is provided by one electric motor-driven pump. Normal operating pressure for each hydraulic system is 3,000 pounds per square inch. Um, each hydraulic system has a fluid reservoir located in the main wheel well area. There is system A and system B reservoirs are pressurized by air from the pneumatic manifold. The standby reservoir is pressurized and the fluid is maintained at full level by an interconnecting balance line uh, to the system B reservoir. Pressurization of all three reservoirs ensures a positive fluid flow at to haul hydraulic pumps. Uh, a power transfer unit, PTU, provides alternates, an alternate source of hydraulic pressure to ensure operation of the auto slat system and leading edge flaps and slats if required. The PTU valve will open should the system be engine-driven pump pressure drop below limits when airborne with the flaps less than 15 but not up. System A pressure drives a hydraulic motor which in turn drives a pump pressurizing system B fluid. Uh, and we'll come back to the PTU here in a minute because I recall it being questioned. Uh, so, hydraulic system A. Hydraulic system A uses, utilizes two pumps. One is engine-driven from engine number one, and the other is uh, electronic is an electronic motor pump powered from engine number two generator. A hydraulic shutoff valve controlled by engine fire warning switch number one is installed in the supply line between the reservoir and the engine-driven pump. Pulling the engine fire warning switch shuts off the, f the fluid flow to the pump and deactivates the associated low pressure light. The engine-driven hydraulic pump output pressure is controlled by the engine one pump on off switch. Positioning the switch to off activates the solenoid held blocking valve and isolates fluid flow from using the units. The electronic motor, motor pump is controlled by the electronic number two pump on off switch. Temperature sensors are located in the case drain line and the fluid pump housing. If the fluid becomes overheated, the overheat light illuminates. If the pump becomes overheated, power to the motor is switched off and the low pressure light illuminates. Hydraulic fuel... Hydraulic... Hydraulic fluid used for cooling and lubrication of the pumps passes through a heat exchanger before returning to the reservoir. The heat exchanger is located in main fuel tank number one. Pressure transmitters located in the engine-driven and electrical motor pump out output lines send signals to eliminate the appropriate low pressure light if pump output pressure is below acceptable limits. Check, value, check valves iso isolate the two pumps. The system's the system pressure transmitter sends the combined pressure of the pump to the A needle of the hydraulic system pressure indicator. System A fluid quantity is displayed on indicators at the reservoir and on the engine instrument system, ESIS. The reservoir is pressurized by the pneumatic manifold. 
if a leak develops in the engine-driven pump or its associated lines, a sandpipe in the reservoir prevents a total system fluid loss. With fluid only to the level of the sandpipe, the reservoir indicators indicates approximately 22% full. System A pressure is maintained by the electronic motor-driven pump. Should a leak occur in any other system, a component a components or lines, the, quanti the quantity in the reservoir steadily decreases to zero. The, the using units are the for the system A. Using units for system A are the ailerons, rudder, left thrust reverser, elevator and elevator fuel, inboard flight spoilers, alternate brakes, ground spoilers, autopilot A, landing gear, normal nose wear steering, and the power transfer unit in the event of a pressure loss from the system B engine driven pump. And uh, same general description for system B. System B utilizes two pumps. One is engine driven from engine number two, and the other is an electric motor powered by the engine number one generator. Um, and then system B pressure is available to power the landing gear transfer unit in the event of the loss of engine number one. And the using units for system B are also the ailerons, rudder, right thrust reverser, leading engine flap and slats, auto slats, elevator and elevator fuel computer, outboard flight spoilers, normal brakes, yaw damper, autopilot B, trailing edge flaps, and alternate nose wheel steering. So that's system B for you. And the standby system uh, is provided as a backup in the event uh, in the event normal system A or B pressure is lost. Standby system reservoir is connected to the system B reservoir through a balance line for pressurization, pressurization and servicing. Uh, the single electric motor driven hydraulic standby pump is activated by positioning either flight control switch to the standby rudder position or by positioning the alternate flaps master switch to arm. The standby rudder PCU will be pressurized if the A or B system flight control switch is positioned to standby rudder. Positioning either flight control switch to standby rudder also shuts off the corresponding hydraulic system pressure to ailerons, elevator, and rudder by closing the flight control shutoff valve with either switch in the standby rudder position, the associated flight control low pressure light is deactivated as the standby rudder shutoff valve opens. In the event of a loss of system A or B hydraulic pressure during takeoff or landing, the standby system is activated automatically to provide power to the standby rudder actuator. The automatic operation of the standby system pump is deactivated with flap when flaps are moved to up. In the event of system B pressure loss, the leading edge devices may be extended by positioning the alternate flaps master switch to arm and momentarily positioning the alternate flaps position switch to down. The leading edge devices are fully extended hydraulic hydraulically but cannot be retracted by the standby hydro hydraulic system. The trailing edge flaps may be extended or retracted electronically. With the loss of system A and or system B, the standby system provides pressure to operate the respective thru thrust reversers. If a leak occurs in the standby system, the standby reservoir quanti 
quantity reduces, decreases to zero. The low quantity light illuminates when the standby reservoir is approximately half empty. The system B reservoir fluid level decreases and stabilizes at approximately 64% full. The standby system low quanti quantity light is always armed. The low pressure light is armed only when standby pump operation has been selected. Um, so with just sta the standby system, you only have access to the basic flight controls. That's the rudder, elevator, and elevator fuel computer, and the aileron. See, so to review it again, hydraulic system A using units are the ailerons, rudder, left thrust reverser, elevator, and elevator fuel, inboard flight spoilers, alternate brakes, ground spoilers, autopilot A, landing gear, normal work normal nose wheel steering and the power transfer unit in the event of a pressure loss from the system B engine driven pump. And the using units uh, for hydraulic system B are the ailerons, rudder, flaps, right thrust reverser, leading edge flaps and slats, auto slats, elevator and elevator fuel computer, onboard flight spoilers, normal brakes, yaw damper, autopilot B, trailing edge flaps, and alternate nose wheel steering. System B pressure is available to the power to power the landing gear transfer unit in the event of a loss of the of engine number one. Um, and in the event that you are relying on uh, the standby system, the standby system uh, powers the rudder, elevator, el and elevator fuel computer, and the aileron. Uh, so just your basic controls uh, to operate the plane with. Um, so those are the basic hydraulically powered items that are still available if both hydraulic system A and B should fail. That would be the rudder, elevator, and elevator fuel computer, and the aileron. Um, the APU bottle, fire bottle cannot be used for the main engine's fire, su fire suppression system. Um, the power transfer unit, we'll go back to that real quick. A power transfer unit provides an alternate source of hydraulic pressure to ensure operation of the auto slat system and the leading edge flaps and slats if required. The PTU valve will open should the system be engine driven pump pressure drop below limits when airborne with the flaps less than 15 but not up. System A pressure drives a hydraulic, mo hydraulic motor which in turn drives the pump pressurizing system B fluid. So it just helps if system B fluid pressurization is lost, you can get it from the pressurization from system A. Describe the sources of the elect of electrical power. All right, so you have ground electrical power available. That's ground power that can be plugged directly into the airplane. Uh, and then you also have, uh, which and you also have the APU. APU can uh, provide power to generator one bus and generator two bus. And then you also have the battery. Uh, the battery starts your basic systems and gives you the power to start the APU and bleed air as well. And uh, it runs on 28 volt DC. Um, and... Uh, then you have the two engine generators. When both engines are running, you've got an engine generator on number one, which uh, ties into the um, 
number one number one generator bus and it generates 115 volts AC transfer. What's up? Yeah. So uh, it generates 115 volts AC transfer for bus one from the generator one bus and generator two bus generates 115 volts AC transfer uh, bus uh, so you've got uh, ground power available, you've got battery power available, you've got uh, APU power available, you've got engine generator 1 power available, engine generator 2 power available. So that's five sources of power on the 737-400. Uh, what is an electrical bus? Well, an electrical bus seems like a feeder, a generator of power. Um... But here's the general description of the uh, electrical system, and hopefully that'll cover it. Uh, primary electrical power is provided by two engine-driven dri generators, with which, which, which supply three-phase, 115-volt, 400-cycle 400 cycle AC current. Each generator supplies its own bus system in normal operations, but part of the system is automatically transferred to the operating engine generator system when one engine generator is inoperative. Uh, Step-down transformers provide low-voltage AC power for lighting instruments and other circuits that use alternating current at a lower voltage. Transformer rectifiers, TR units, supply DC power and a battery and a battery provides backup for the AC and DC standby system. The APU operates a gener generator identical to the engine generators and supply can supply both engine generator buses on the ground or either system in flight. So a generator bus is just uh, uh, the, the feed for the generation of electrical uh, energy coming out of either the APU, uh, the ground power, uh, engine generator number one, engine generator number two. Um, so that's what a bus is. Um, what is the air aircraft battery used for? Aircraft battery is used as a backup. Um, it's a 20, source of 28 volt DC power. Uh, it's used to start the APU on the ground and uh, runs the basic systems on the ground. Um, uh, the battery can supply part of the DC system. Battery charging is automatically controlled. A fully charged battery has sufficient capacity to provide power for a minimum of 30 minutes. Battery voltage range is 22 to 30 volts. DC buses that are powered from the battery from the battery flowing following a loss of both generators are the battery bus, DC standby bus, hot battery bus, and the switched hot battery bus. The switched hot battery bus is powered whenever the battery switch is on. The hot, butter, hot battery bus is always connected to the battery. There is no switch to in the circuit. The battery must be above minimum voltage to operate, to operate units supplied by this bus. Um... And then we have an auxiliary 28-volt DC power receptacle is provided ne provided near the battery in the electronic compartment. A placard located adjacent to the receptacle gives complete instructions for connecting external DC power with external with external DC power connected. The battery is paralleled with the DC external power source, and the external power cart will power 
power all circuits normally supplied by the battery. In the event that the airplane battery is depleted, the APU can be started using DC external power, uh, which is nice. So, let's see here. That covers the um, aircraft battery. Um, and we're going back here to the transformer rectifier units. There are three. Uh, the transformer rectifier units. The TR units convert 115 volt AC to 28 volt DC and are identified as TR1, TR2, and TR3. TR voltage range is between 24 and 30 volts. TR1 and 2 receive AC power from the transfer buses and power DC buses 1 and 2. With the bus transfer switch in the auto position, TR1 and TR2 are operated in parallel. TR3 supplied by the main AC bus number 2 normally powers the battery bus and backs up TR1 and TR2. The TR3 disconnect relay automatically opens at glide slope capture during a flight director or autopilot ILS approach. This isolates the DC buses during approach to prevent a single failure from affecting both navigational both navigation receivers and flight control computers. Uh, so that is the transformer rectifier units covered. And let's see here. What else have we got? Uh, what is the function and limita limitation of the generator drive disconnect? Um, primary power is obtained from two three-phase three brushless, brushless generators. One mounted on each engine. Each engine is part of, the, of a generator drive unit which maintains constant frequency throughout the normal operating range of the engine. The generator is coupled, coupled directly to the engine and operates whenever the engine is running. A generator drive disconnect switch is installed. This switch deactivates the generator from the engine in the event of a generator drive malfunction. Reactivating the generator may, may be accomplished by, only on the ground by an uh, maintenance personnel. So if you do uh, flip that uh, generator drive disconnect switch, it can't be reconnected in the air. So make sure you know what you're doing before you flip that switch. Um, and the fuel schematic system is the last thing to cover here. And the fuel schematic is relatively simple. There are six pumps in all. And, again, uh, three tanks. All right. So, in tank number one, which holds 10,643 pounds of fuel, we have um, two fuel pumps. They are electrically driven. Each fuel tank contains two AC-powered fuel pumps. So, they're AC-powered, so they go off of generator bus one and generator bus two which are fuel-cooled and lubricated. A single generator failure will not affect more than one pump in each tank. Individual pressure sensors monitor the output pressure of, of each pump. Um, so, uh, for the schematic for the fuel pumps, we've got two fuel pumps in the left tank. As I said, holds 10,643 pounds of fuel. And then the center tank has two pumps, and it holds 16,422 pounds of fuel. And then the right tank, number two engine tank, has two pumps, and it holds 10,643 pounds of fuel. 
uh, things to note. Uh, the APU uh, is fed via the number one left number one tank or left tank or left main tank. Um, and then you also have the uh, scavenge pump, which goes from the center tank to the left tank. Uh, opens when both the fuel pumps and the center tank are shut off. And then we have the manual fueling, manual defueling valve and fueling station, and that is adjacent to the number two tank. And then we have a crossfeed valve that can be opened um, to uh, open up the crossfeed and allow fuel to go from or allow fuel to be taken from both tanks or all three tanks, as the case may be. Uh, usually, it's uh, you deplete all the fuel in the main tank number one first. Uh, and the left gener left fuel pump uh, sends sends fuel to the left engine. Right fuel pump sends fuel to the right engine. And then when that's done, you shut the uh, center center fuel pumps off. And then you are relying on the uh, number one tank and number two tank. And each um, each tank provide uh, fuels each engine. Um, and you usually don't use the cross feed valve uh, unless you're fueling. Um, but that's mainly for people on the ground anyway. So, um, that covers most of it for us here. Um, a little bit of about the ram air. Uh, the, ram, the function of the ram air. The ram air system is used to provide cooling for the heat exchangers in the air conditioning system. So the primary heat exchanger, secondary heat exchanger for the packs, uh, the ram air cools that stuff down. Operation is automatic. Um, and you don't really need to worry about it more than that. Um, recirculation fan, the recirculate, recirculation fan system reduces the air conditioning package load and the engine bleed air demand, bleed, engine bleed air demand. The air for the recirculation fan is exhaust air from the main cabin and ex an external equipment bay. The air is filtered and recirculated to the mix manifold. The fans are driven by AC motors. Each recirculation fan will operate only if the respective recirc fan switch is selected to auto. In flight, if both packs are operating and either pack is switched to high, the left recirculation fan will shut will shut off. The right recirculation fan will operate in flight unless both packs are in high on the ground. The right recirculation fan will operate even if both pack switches are in high. The left recirculation fan will operate on the ground except when both packs are in high. So, um, let's see, and we briefly skimmed over the pressurization system. Um, and again, just to go over the electrical system again, we got generator bus one, generator bus two, um, 115 volts AC uh, for main bus one, 115 volts main, 115 volts AC for uh, generator bus two, and we got the three TRs that convert it to 28 volt DC power batteries, 28 volt DC power as well. Um, and it's all in interconnected in a massive jigsaw of power. Okay, briefly about the Aniskid. The normal brake system is powered by hydraulic system B. Um, anti-skid. The anti-skid system controls the amount of hydraulic pressure applied to the brakes when tire skidding occurs during manual or automatic braking. 
And a little bit about the auto brakes. Basically, you set the auto brakes, and uh, they will automatically activate when thrust levers are retarded to near idle or main wheels spin up. Um, and you can select one, two, three, or max to select the desired uh, uh, level of stoppage, I suppose. Uh, and then you have rejected takeoff mode. The rejected takeoff mode can be select selected only when the airplane is on the ground. Upon selection, the auto brake disarm light illuminates for one to two seconds and the and then extinguishes, indicating that an automatic self self test has been successfully accomplished. Um, and let's see what else have I circled here. Um, we got a bunch of emergency equipment on the airplane. Um, we got a smoke hood and crash axe up in the front. Uh, we got a life vest and goggles at each crew position. And then we got fire extinguishers, uh, BCF up in the flight deck and um, a crash a crash axe um, or a megaphone um, first aid kit uh, H H2O um, fire extinguisher O2 fire extinguisher BCF fire extinguisher um, two smoke hoods and uh, towards the front a first aid kit towards the middle uh, bottle of O2 towards the middle as well, and a life vest under each seat. And towards the back, we've got a first aid kit, a smoke hood, um, uh, an H2O, and BCF fire extinguisher, a megaphone, 202 uh, canisters, a smoke hood, uh, a couple of life vests in the back, and a flash, a couple of flashlights, another life vest, and flashlights. So that's our emergency equipment equipment on board the 737-400. And uh, category and class of fire. Class A is combustible materials, paper, wood, fabric, rubber, certain plastics, etc., where quenching by water is effective. Uh, class B, flammable liquids, gasoline, oil, greases, solvents, paints, burning liquids, cooling, cooking fats, etc., where smothering action is required. And Class C, live electricals, fires started by short circuit or faulty wiring in the electrical electronic compartment or fires in the motor switches, galley, galley equipment, etc., where a non-conducting extinguisher agent is required. Whenever possible... Electronic electrical equipment should be decharged before attacking a Class C fire. Um, uh, engine overheat and fire detection. Each engine contains two overheat fire detection loops. Each of these loops consists of four detector elements. So four detector elements in each engine. Eight detector elements in the entire plane, but four detector elements in each engine. Uh, what else have we got here? APU fire detection, a KD sensor element fire detection loop is installed on the APU. At a predetermined alarm temperature, the electrical resistance of the sensor decreases to a point where it actuates the warning signal. The master fire warning lights and the APU fire switch illuminates. The APU 
Fire warning bell sounds and the APU automatically shuts down. The APU fire warning horn is the main in the main wheel well also sounds on the ground only and the APU fire light flashes. Silencing the oral warnings and activating the fire extinguisher can be done from the cockpit or the wheel well. The APU fire warning switch and warning light remain illuminated until the temperature surrounding the sensor responder have decreased below the alarm temperature. Illumination of the amber APU detent and op light located on the fire panel indicates the failure of the APU fire detection loop. Uh, wheel well fire detection. A fire detection loop is installed in the main wheel well. The detector is a firmwell metallic type. There is no provision for short circuit detection. Testing for fire checks for fire checks the continuity of the loop by sending an artificial electronic signal to the fire warning system. The detector is not actually heated. Um, and then we have a bit on warning systems, um, which we're not really too concerned about because we're not pilots, unfortunately. Um, uh, wing and engine thermal, wing and engine thermal anti-ice, engine bleed air, thermal and anti-icing prevents the formation of ice on the wing, leading edge slats, and the engine cowl lip. It doesn't uh, actually help with the trailing edge flaps, uh, and there is no. Uh, uh, anti-ice on the tail, and this this airplane has no de-icing available. It's just anti-icing, so it's preventative. Uh, you gotta flip the switches before you go into icing conditions, not when you get into icing conditions or after you get into icing conditions. Very important. Aside from that, um, there are two Freon bottles or squibs, as they're called, uh, which can be discharged to put out fires in engine number one or engine number two, uh, but the two squibs uh, are shared between the two engines. So uh, if you get a fire alarm on engine number one, you pull the switch, you wait a few seconds, and then you fire the, um, the Freon agent uh, by twisting it to the left at first, um, then one of your Freon bottles is gone. Um, so if you fire the second second bottle into the number one engine, uh, you no longer have any su fire suppression engine, si fire suppressant available should a fire start on engine number two. Uh, you only got the two Freon bottles shared between the two engines and the one Freon bottle for the APU fire. Uh, so keep that in mind when doing, running fire drills. Um... There are four pairs of fire detector equipment on each engine. And on the APU, there's just one APU fire detector element, wheel well fire detector element. Um, and then additional notes for the 737-400. Brake, brake accumulator is nitrogen charged and good for several applications of brakes. Anti-skid is off during accum accumulator use because it uses too much brake pressure. Fan stage bleed air is used to pre-cool fifth and ninth stage bleed air. That's why we say the bleed air comes from the fan, the fifth and the ninth. Um, Dispatch Deviation Procedure Guide, DDPG, describes in detail how the aircraft must be operated if onboard equipment is not operational or is missing. This manual is divided into two parts. MEL, Minimum Equipment List, the equipment is onboard, 
what is not working explains how many of that item may be must be working and how aircraft must be operated. CDL, configuration deviation list, equipment is missing, explains how many may be missing and how to operate the aircraft. Um, and that is it for the uh, part two of the systems review. Uh, it didn't take as long as I thought for some reason, uh, which kind of makes me nervous. So uh, um, I'll fill it in here and just say... Um, that we have gotten into takeoff performance now. Um, oh, actually, let me do that now. Um, might as well cover it here. Well, we still got the microphone, and while we're still broadcasting, um, and then I'll talk a little bit. Not much, but a little bit. Uh, for any of you who are still staying tuned for whatever reason. After 50 minutes, I don't imagine why you would be, but, yeah. People are downloading it, so I'll keep making it. Okay. So, the general procedure for deriving your takeoff limited gross weight... Oh, of course I just lost the page there. Of course I did. Okay, so we're just combining this all into one for efficiency's sake. Uh, so the general procedure for determining your takeoff limited gross weight is to take your adjusted your runway limit adjusted, your climb limit adjusted, and your structural limit adjusted, and pick the lowest figure of those three, and that is your takeoff limited total gross weight. Uh, for your landing limited total gross weight, uh, you need to take your adjusted runway limit, adjusted approach, approach landing and climb limit, and your adjusted structural limit, pick the lowest figures of, figure of those three, and then you end up with your maximum operating landing weight. Uh, and you add, at, add that to your burnoff, and you get your landing limited total gross weight. So the following are a list of factors that are used to determine uh, landing takeoff limits and landing limits. Runway field limits, MEL, CDL, airport elevation, temperature, engine type, bleed air, flap setting, obstructions, clutters, snow, snow slush, ice, um... Slope, wind component, length, anti-skid, brake energy, tires, speed limits, climb limit, approach, and landing climb limits. You have MEL, CDL to consider, airport elevation, temperatures, engine bleed, engine type, bleed air, flap settings, and structural limits. You've just got MEL, CDL. Uh, notice the runway field limits list is longest when the wheels are in contact with the surface. There are more factors to consider. Once airborne, only air density, power, and lift drag matter. Climb limits, approach, landing, and climb limits. Uh, so, punishment for a wet runway is minus 16,000 pounds. A grooved runway is usually not considered wet unless precipitation is heavy. Anti-ice on... Uh, constitutes a 700-pound hit for takeoff because at takeoff, takeoff throttle, the wing anti-ass shuts off and minus 22, 2,225 pounds takeoff climb limit, minus zero for landing because only low power is required, minus 22,225 uh, pounds for landing climb limit because of the drag ice on tail, unheated, and bleed, air, power loss. That's for anti-ice on. Um, and for anti-skid um, malfunction, that's 17,000 pounds 
for takeoff only. Landing limits graph has provisions for anti-skid uh, in ops. So, um, that, oh, one more thing to cover. Uh, V1, V1 is the max speed at which the rejected takeoff maneuver can be initiated and the airplane stopped within the remaining field length under the conditions and procedures defined in the FARS. V1 is also the earliest point from which an airplane, an engine out takeoff can be continued and the airplane attain a height of 35 feet at the end of the runway. V1 is the speed below which the takeoff must be discontinued and at or above which the takeoff must be continued in the event of failure or of the critical engine. VR is the speed at which the aircraft is rotated to the liftoff position. V1 of is the speed at which the aircraft lifts off the runway. And V2 is takeoff safety speed. That's the speed where if you are only on one engine, you can safely continue to climb. All right, so that covers climb limits um, and systems. That's the bulk of what we've done so far in the dispatch class. We are two weeks in at this point. Um, and I won't lie to you, the uh, process for determining... Uh, the total gr to take off gross weight, uh, even though it sounds simple, uh, when you get into a lot of these diagrams, uh, it's not so simple. Um, you know, you're looking up a lot of figures on the sheets. Um, I'll give you an example here. Um, we had to determine um, an anchorage. Uh, your climb limit and the runway limit for 98 degrees. Well, 98 degrees falls between 195 on the scale. Uh, so, what you end up having to do is take the figure, uh, in this case, it's 134, 100 uh, for 95 degrees, and subtract that from 131,400 at 100 degrees. So I'm going to just do this real quick in my calculator. So what I say, 134,100. And then from that, you subtract 131,400. And you got 2,700. And you divide that by 5, because the difference in temperature between 195 is 5. So I've got 2,700. I'm dividing that by 5 right now. And I get 540. So that tells me that for each degree deviation we have in between, uh, or each degree, 100, 100, the difference between 100 and 101 or 199 is going to be 540 pounds. So now, um, we take 131,400 um, and add 540 times 2 to that. So 131,400, 540 times 2 equals 1,080. So we're going to add 1,080 to 131,400. And we get 132,480. So um, that sounds reasonable. So our climb limit 
from, with flaps 5, uh, taking off from Anchorage at 98 degrees, which would be a really freaking hot day in Anchorage, uh, would be 132,480. Uh, and then we got to go over and figure out um, our our runway limit. Now we're using runway 14. We have our climb limit. I'm going to write that down. Climb limit is 132,480. And I'll just put CL so I remember that's the climb limit. And and then we have we have to go through the same procedure with the runway. Um, so at 95 degrees, um, uh, the runway limit for runway 14 is 149.700. So put that in the calculator. 149.700. And then we're going to subtract 147,700. 147,700. 1497,00. 1497,00. Yep, that's right. And we get 2,000 is the difference between those two figures, and we're going to divide that by 5 because there's 5 degrees difference between 95 degrees and 100 degrees. We're trying to get to 98 degrees, remember? Uh, so we'll divide that by 5, and we get 400. So there's 400 uh, pounds difference per degree. Um, so we're trying to figure out 98 degrees, so uh, 400 times 2 is 800. So we're going to add 800 to 1,000. Uh, we're going to take 1,477,00 and add 800 to it. So we get uh, our final uh Climb limit, which does make sense given the numbers, uh, which is 148,500. Um, or that's our runway limit. Our runway limit. Uh, so 148,500 would be our runway limit in this case. So um, 148,500. All right, and I am going to uh, probably do more of these over the weekend. Uh, try and work with the with the, a blank sheet, a blank worksheet that they had us uh, take home. Um, but there you go. That's how you derive runway limit, climb limit, um, and then there's also some additional factors here. Um, for instance, uh, we don't actually we aren't given weather here in this particular situation, as I recall, um, unless it's in one of my blank sheets here. 
No, all the all the practice ones are at San Francisco. So, uh, which it will be good practice for me because I was practicing with San Francisco uh, earlier. So, um, I'll go through the practice ones later. But I mean, based on your wind and such, um, certain runways in the case of of runway one four, uh, you don't have to add any weight uh, for headwinds. Uh, you do have to subtract um, 1,090 pounds uh, per knot of tailwind. Uh, and then you have to add um, you have to add uh, point you have to add 61 pounds um, per inch you are above 1013 millibars. And remember, you can get the uh, barometric pressure in millibars by just adding a 10 to the sea level pressure note on the uh, comments section of the METAR. Uh, so that's an easy way to get the uh, uh, pressure in millibars if you ever need it, uh, which you do for this sort of stuff. And then you uh, subtract 142 pounds uh, per inch or per millimeter, you are below 1013. Um, so that's a factor there. Um, and then... Um, it just has some numbers here. Uh, minimum factor traction height for this runway is 400 feet. Runway length is 10,489 feet. So that's why uh, our numbers are so high, because it's quite a long runway. Um, and runway slope is 0.35 in the positive direction, so that's within our plus or minus 2 degrees slope tolerance level. Uh, brake release weight must not exceed structural limit of 138,500. Uh, limit code is F field tire speed brake energy V. So we got some extra codes here to worry about, uh, which they haven't really explained to us yet. Uh, obstacle clearances and whatnot. So uh, I plan to uh, work the numbers for the uh, San Francisco Flaps 5 um, and give you some of those and uh, maybe even do some flights based on that as well. Uh, I have practiced in San Francisco before with these charts, so I kind of know what I'm doing, but not really. Uh, and the test is next Wednesday, so I've got a lot of practice. Um, I won't, or I gotta get a lot of practice. I won't lie to you, the math is scaring the living shit out of me. Um, I've been told that, um, you know, most of this is computerized when you actually do get into the dispatch field. Uh, but nonetheless, it's an awful lot of math, and, uh, I've got two really big tests, uh, that are based off of it. So, uh, That'll be fun to look forward to. So uh, if you have experience dispatching, if you have comments, suggestions, questions, feedback, whatever, uh, please let me know. Um, in the meantime, uh, stay safe, stay sane. Uh, remember to send me an email. Email address is nicnacjak at gmail.com. That's the way you can get a hold of me. You can also donate, uh, especially because it's my birthday today. Happy birthday to me. Uh, it's just 16 minutes in, but still, it is the 30th of September, 2011, so there we go. Alright, so stay safe, stay sane, happy landings, I'll see you next time. 